1: Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at Burrow.com slash ACAST. That's Burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST.
0: Hello, I'm Mayhem.
1: Hello, I'm Chaos. And, and our happiness is egg Happiness is egg-shaped, and love's a circle with no end.
2: <laughs>
1: Happiness is and loves a with no, is no, 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 no,
3: Hello and welcome to the Happiness Is podcast with me your host Bruce Aitchison from Happiness Is Egg Shaped and today we have an absolute hero, a man whose list of honours is longer than both my arms put together and he is salt of the earth, an absolute gem from Clubland in the borders and been to the top, the very, very top, been to Everest, probably, and we'll talk a little bit about that. I'm not going to waste any time on the intro, because we need to get in here and speak to today's very special guest, the one and the only Mr. Alan Tate. Hello,
0: pleased to be on the show, Bruce.
3: Been waiting a while
0: to get on, actually.
3: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's an absolute honour to have you, and obviously coming up for Lion season. When you look at South Africa, does that just bring back
0: very, very happy memories? Ah, I, I mean, you know, it, you never forget that. Obviously, it's the highlight of my life, and um you know, just thinking that they're going back there, and it's it's the time that's flew by. You know, twenty four years. You just you see it, and you just can't believe it. You know, I was looking enough to. We had a sort of reunion on, on this sort of podcast idea and uh, with the Lions about two weeks ago, and just seeing the guys again was it was great to see them all. You know, you just you never forget their memories, and just seeing the boys, we do. We all look a bit older and heavier and whatever, but uh, no, it was good to just catch up with them again.
3: When when you watch the Living with the Lions DVD, I don't know if you've watched it. I've watched it a hundred times, and you hear, you have those speeches from Geach and, and Creamy. When you're sitting there in the room. Is that building you up, or were you somebody that sat there thinking, "Come on, just get on with"?
0: No, I I was. I was very much a sit at the back of the room kind of guy. You know, I wasn't. I I liked when in team meetings, you always was a bit nervy that you might get asked questions. So I used to sit at the back and keep out of the way and the head down. But no, look, you know, every individual gets something out of something. But Geach and Jim you know, just to speak about them too, Jim was obviously, when he took them guys away with Everest, you know, that chat was obviously for the forwards and he, he got them forwards really wound up, you know, all the time and that was his sort of, That you know, he was brilliant at it, he? he was absolutely brilliant whereas the backs are a bit, you know, usually are a bit more um laid back as you could say And uh, but Geech, Geech's speeches were always emotional, you know, and his chin was always going like, you, you knew how much it meant to him and that, I think that sort of, comes across to you that you know this guy is actually feeling every word he's saying and it, you know as if he was going to be out there playing so you, you did get that off off both of them really you know Jim was, Jim was a real rev up where you know Geach really touched your emotional part and uh, I you know the two of them worked well together and you know as I say it, you know the, the, the two is, says it all really the, you know the success that we had
3: they they were absolutely brilliant. I was actually speaking to Jim Telfer this week, and I said to him I was going to be speaking to you, and he was full
0: of, full of praise
3: for you, really full of praise. Which getting praise for Jim Telfer is is like gold,
0: isn't it? Listen, I mean, I remember Jim when I first went away he was quite a scary character. I remember you know way back in the late eighties when I left rugby league, and I thought, oh, I've crossed a lot of them guys, but. Jim was one of the first guys to open his arms when I came back, and the thing, what I'd learnt in with the league, sort of, it's it's hard to put this, you know, but, but they were like headmasters back in Scotland, the coaches, you know, you, you just when they spoke, everybody sort of listened and froze, and that's how that's the sort of attention that Jim demanded. But when I went away to league, and I had eight, nine, ten years down there, you just learned that. Uh, they're just people, you know. They're just humans. The same. Just they want the same sort of banter. They want the and same... We had loads, you know. There was loads of banter in the changing room and off the field. And you know, when the coach spoke, obviously he had to listen. But and I, I think I, when I came back, I pulled Jim's leg a bit, and I, and he absolutely enjoyed it. I think he loved it. I think he thought, "Oh, this is great. You know, at last I've got people that are sort of having a bit because of... everybody just." I remember Stuart Grimes and some of these guys, they were petrified of him. You know, Tom Smith, you mentioned Tom. Tom and all these guys were petrified of Jim. Maybe because they were forwards, I don't know. But, you know, if he spoke, they, you know, the meetings went serious as that. Whereas, you know, I kind of was all relaxed and I, I pulled his leg a little bit on the training field and his assistants and, and Gary Armstrong and Doddy joined in. And and before you knew it, we had a great sort of rapport with Jim. I think he, I think he would be the first to admit he, he did get... And mellow a bit as he, you know, as he's coaching, he went on, and especially like in the later years with Scotland in, in the ninety nine. You know, that sort of when he come back and we, we won the, he was really, he was great then. You know what I mean? He was, we had some real fun times, and and Doddy and Gary drove him mad. To be honest, I mean, these things they done to him just to wind him up. I remember he got a new he got a new Volvo car off S I U, and I had all the singing and dancing buttons and everything. <laughs> Johnny and Gary got a lift with him, and, and uh, I don't know which one it was, but they turned on his heater seats, and he didn't have a clue. And he kept getting out of the car, going, Mommy backs burning, I'm on fire!" He says, "That them seats are red on. and it was these new heater seats that had been on. And Gary and Johnny had switched them on, and he didn't know how to switch them off at all. He just the things like that. It was honestly, it was non-stop. Jim was scared to go to bed at night because what the his room and, Oh, honestly, it was crackers. But I think Jim enjoyed that, and I think that Jim. If anything, I, you know, I'd like to have felt that, you know, when, with my relationship with Jim, we really sort of got on well, and we, we as you know, as, as mates really, and and it's he he, so he he did mellow definitely, and uh, and we had some good fun, you know what I mean? We had some real good fun. And, and that's you what joined them about. as a
3: coach, didn't you? You joined them.
0: Yeah, Jim took me on, which maybe maybe helped, you know. To later on, you know, Jim and. Uh, Jim and Geach asked me, you know, to to go on tour in two thousand and start as a defence coach for Scotland. So again, you know, it was great. Just to, you know, I down tools and put the boots down, and then lifted the coaching sort of uh, tracksuit and started coaching with the boys in two thousand out to New Zealand. Uh, tough to start your coaching career as a defence coach, <laughs> but uh, but no, it was you know. But that I've got to thank them for that as well. You know that that's that's what you need, is a... You know. As a young coach, you need you need opportunities and uh, and you know and um, and you you thank guys that that are, that are prepared to you know let you loose as a youngster. They don't know how it's going to go. You know they they're just putting the you know they're just banking that you'll you'll do okay. And
3: uh, and I think that you
0: know we didn't do too badly.
3: No, very very well. And Jim, so your relationship with Jim, his bit about an honest player that looks himself in the mirror. He must have seen that in you. Now, nobody has the success that you've had without being an honest player. You, you can't cheat that. Where did that honesty and drive come from?
0: it I mean, look, I'm not taking any from the, the Kelso boys when I first started. You know, they were great with me. You know, playing that Kelso team in the, back in the late 80s really buried me as a player. Because, I mean, you know, like players like Sir Andrew Kerr, you know, D, Bob Hogarth, and, you know, the forwards, calendars Paxton, Jeffrey, or, you know, the list was endless. You know, that was a club team, by the way. You know, I almost named a Scotland team there. But they, they were great for me. But I really learnt my trade when I went to rugby league. That's where, uh, you know, I seen the honesty in these guys that I was training with. You know, I went to witness who had just won the league title, which was the biggest trophy then to win. You know, I joined them a week after they'd won it, and, uh, I thought to myself, oh, I'm going to meet superstars here and all this and all, you know, worrying and panicking and just, you know, hopefully getting the respect. And so I went down there and honestly, they were just tough lads that trained really. I know it, people say rugby league's been professional. Rugby league hasn't been professional for that long. When I first went down, they, these guys weren't full-time rugby players. They were working nine to five and then training four nights a week, two in the gym, two were training and then on a Saturday morning and playing on a Sunday So that's how their life was, yet the rugby union guys that signed for them, uh, signed in the late 80s, like myself, Fire, Davis, Moriarty, you know, Devereaux, Hadley, I could name it, the list goes on. We were all full-time, we were getting paid just to play rugby, so we we weren't doing anything through the week. We we could just wander about and do a bit of training on our side, you know. So I really learned this sort of, the grit that these lads had and the determination that they had, and I just thought, I'm going to have to work... Twice as hard to to get where they were, and you
3: were coming off the back of playing for Scotland. Yeah. You've been to a World Cup in New Zealand, which must have just been well. I I don't know what was that like going to the first ever World Cup.
0: Oh, I mean, you know, just getting selected as an uncapped player was was a privilege, really. And you know, just to to get out in New Zealand, uh, the first World Cup, just a youngster. You know, as I say, I hadn't been capped at the time. I think there was me and Greg Oliver. I can't remember if there was anybody else that hadn't been capped, but um, you know, it, it was it was a great honour, you know. And, and and as I say, Scotland, the Scotland team's always we always toured, you know. I mean, there's something about the Scots; they don't mind where they go in the world. They'll, they'll always turn up and and, and you know and 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 play to their best abilities. And and it was no, you know, that that World Cup, you know, the the first game against France. I mean, it was a draw, you know. It could have went either way. Uh, which would have given you a far easier quarter final because obviously we ended up playing New Zealand in the quarter final, which was you know tough and you know they 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 were on to win the competition. But um, France went across to Australia, if I mind writing. I, I think they played Fiji or somebody, so it could have been a lot different. But no, it was it was and getting my first cap, you know, I, for a player who I really really admired, I'd played alongside him for the South of Scotland. Again, a real, uh, you know. A, I always look at John Rutherford as probably the greatest player that could have been. he was he was a tremendous player don't get me wrong he, he was a brilliant player but if he'd been a professional with his game and, and his knowledge and the way he played the game his kicking his running ability his attack you know and he was a biggish lad you know I, I think he'd have been one of the, the greatest ever you know what I mean he's, he's um, and and there'll be many there'll be many amateur guys that missed out you know Roy Lalaw's his, his, his buddy. You no, know, if they if they'd had a chance to be professional, you just you'd love to have seen it. You know what I mean? But hey, it never happened, and you know they're not going to cry over it now. But you know, it, as I say, I was lucky enough to get my first cap at at the expense of John Rutherford, who was it finished his career that injury. He was he retired after that competition, and. Uh, you know, I, I kicked on and I, I still meet John a few times. He's, he's still got the banter. He's still, you know, he still still knows his rugby, John. He's yeah, good, he does. He's, a, guy. he's, he's guy.
3: a great guy. And then you come back. So was that what got you in the knowledge and the vision of rugby league scouts having got your cap for Scotland or had those conversations already started?
0: There'd been no conversations with, with the clubs, but what he did do was it proved what... <laughs> My father's plan was unhatching before us. He spoke to me when I was twelve, thirteen year old. When I moved back to Scotland, when I was in Workington for ten years of my life, when he was playing league down there, because he'd done the same, you know, for Kelso to, to Workington back in the sixties, and he said to me, "I'm taking you home. Um, you'll play rugby union up there." And he says, "Someday you'll play for your country." And then, then he says, "You'll you're talking big books," as he used to say in them days, and and I, I you know. As a 13, 14 year fourteen-year-old, I never took any of that in, but it was always a seed in my mind, and I always wanted to replicate him. As a, if anything, I looked up to him the most out of anybody, and I thought, "I'm going to do what you've done, and I'm going to beat you," like sort of thing. So there was always that seed. So once I got my cap, I remember coming back, and um, and him saying, "Yeah, you'd be worth a you'd be worth a fortune now. You'd be able to go and play rugby for a living." And I'm like, "Oh, I've only just played for Scotland, sort of thing." He wasn't pushing me; he just said you're worth a fortune. You know, he, he never, he never swayed me to go rugby, uh, to rugby league, but he did, he did set that seed when I was a youngster.
3: And what, then, as I say, I,
0: what,
3: what was it to Kim there? Was it the Just, chance to it, play rugby for, for look, money?
0: He had, he had nothing, you know what I mean? He was a, he was a young apprentice joiner. You know, my mum was only 18. He was only 19, 20, you know, two kids, um, you know he, he 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 just wanted to better his life probably and uh, and he, you know in them days the, the rugby league scouts were were up in the borders um and when when he used to say he he said they used to watch the sevens a lot because that's what they were after in players they, they didn't really watch 15s because they weren't going to get anything you know familiar in, in the game but they, they did cope in the in the springtime to the borders and watch all the sevens that's where they used to pick out players and you know, some of the great, you know, likes of Harry Witt and you know, a good friend of my dad and Shillinglaw, Law and you know Valentine. There's been some great players from the borders went down to rugby league and, and done really, really well. So he, he was just lucky enough to catch the eye of a scout, you know, playing sevens probably somewhere. And uh, and they approached him to go down and you know, to in and play to play rugby. And, and it was a big, massive, massive for him because obviously, you know. He he wouldn't know what rugby league was. At least I had an idea. I played it when I was a kid. He'd never played the game or anything. It was it was a it was probably a daunting move for him. But with a young family and nothing much up here, he tried to you know better his life. I think he said he got six thousand for signing on, which in nineteen sixty eight wouldn't have been too bad at all. <laughs> <laughs> and uh,
3: did did you and. Or your old man experience
0: the, the resentment that we hear about from union to league? Ah, uh, my dad was always bitter because the the kind of barred him out of the rugby club at Kelso. Um, so he was he was always he always held a little bit of a grudge against his old club, which is which was unfortunate. I mean he still had a lot of good friends there, don't get me wrong. But he would never go at the club, he'd never come and watch me and and, and have a pint after the game or anything like that. He'd never be down there doing that or anything. He, he just he just stayed away, but I was I was the total opposite. You know, I signed straight after the, winning the Melrose Sevens. I signed on the Tuesday after winning the Sevens on the Saturday, and um, and I was down to witness, you know, the following week in training. And um, so I, I, it was that quick for me. Uh, whereas you know, Kelso got in touch with me and said, "When you're up, um, if you're up on this date, we want you to turn up and get your picture taken with the guys." Um, with a within the league and um, and and the Melrose Sevens, so I, I turned up. I turned up one night. I was a bit nervy. I thought, oh, what they're going to say? But all the guys were sound. they were absolutely brilliant. And you know, they all said, yeah. And I got the Kelsa kit on and got my photo taken. And you know, I wasn't actually a Kelsa player, but I had the kit on again and got my picture taken in the in the league photo and in the Melrose Sevens as well. So uh, it was totally different for me than what it was for my dad.
3: You must have felt like you were on cloud nine. You won the league. You won Melrose Sevens, and you signed for Witness. It must oh. have, you, life can not get any better than I, that, can well, it? Well,
0: exactly. And they, and they just won the league on the Sunday. You know, we'd we won would Melrose. I'd, I'd spoken to Witness the week before. that came up and said to me, you know, we're going to quit. and I was like, right. So you know, we're going to break the forms for you to sign. So I was, I basically made my mind up. Um, and as I say, we would won the Melrose Sevens. Witness won the league. And that's when I thought, oh, how am I going to get in this team sort of thing, you know. But uh, on the Tuesday, they drove up and I signed on the Tuesday. So it was all all, all the Wednesday. I think, oh, I better better get this right (laughs) because we played Jed on the Tuesday, I think. And Jed beat us in the Border League playoff final, that's right. And I signed the day after. There was a lot of debate that I'd signed before that game, but I didn't. I didn't, honestly. I signed after that game. (laughs)
3: Uh, honestly, Your Honor. honestly, Your Honour. Uh, honestly, Your Honour.
0: It was uh, there was a big carry on about that, saying that Kelsey played with me when I was a witness player, but I didn't. I signed the day after.
3: <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing. And how how did it work? I've watched documentaries. I've watched programs about Wales and this idea that the scouts in disguise with the collars up arrive at somebody's door in the dark of night to try and recruit them to rugby league. How did that? Because you wouldn't have had an agent. How did that happen?
0: It's just word of mouth, really. Um, I think that, that it was my name at first got attention. And somebody phoned up my dad. They got hold of his number through a guy called Ike Southwood, who was a coach and a great... He was a legend of league back in the day, but uh, down in Workington. And obviously the board of news and look around mentioned my name and he'd phoned my dad up and said, is that your lad, this Alan Tate? And he said, yeah, it is. So then he, he just quickly got in touch with scouts because he was a scout in Cumbria. So he got in touch with Alec Murphy and a few others and Dougie Lawton down in uh, Widness. They were coaching Witness and St Helens and said, look, there's a young kid here who might be interested. Um, so I, I believe the St Helens scouts came up and, and the Witness scouts came up. Uh, how they were dressed, I don't know. <laughs> but they did, they, did, they did watch the game. Um, and as I say, the, kid, the witness came back and um, the first, and I, and I signed for Witness rather than St Helens.
3: And that was that was a hell of a team that you joined, and then you had Oof. some unbelievable ah. success. You must ah. have just thought, "This is it. I've made it."
0: Oh well, to, to be honest, I mean, look, I joined a league winning club, and then they went straight into the Premiership as the top team. So they played, I think they played eight, was it? And then two plays, you know, it's a, it was a, it was the, it was the Premiership playoffs at the end, and um, I didn't think for the life of me I'd be involved, and I just went down, trained one night i trained for a week um and the coach said i'm putting you on the bench and i'm like hey and think think thinking back now as 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 i you know at the time you know, you know nothing wants to get in your way you just grab the opportunity but thinking back now me being a coach as well uh I, you know I've, I've been i've been a coach yourself you know you know what it's like to drop somebody and, and put somebody else in, there, explain what you have to do, but how do you explain? I've just signed this guy from rugby union, he's never played league in his, well, I had to, he was 10 year old, but I'd never played it, you know, at any standard. And he was willing to throw me into the quarter final of the Premiership, I, you know. How did Dougie do that? What, what was he thinking? And uh, and it actually, he, you know, he only gave me a quarter of an hour of the game at the end. Um, and in that quarter and I want to manage to get my face slapped twice you know what I mean so <laughs> and then, I mean I was like oh I, you know teeth are all slack and then I thought oh it's going to be tough this and, and the week after we went straight to the semi-finals and um, the week after he says you're on the bench again and I was on after seven minutes because one at uh, half time because Martin of Fire he, he, got, he got a knock and he he says right you're on the wing and I was I went on at half time so I got a half a game in the semi-final which we won And then in the final, he said, I'm putting you on the bench again. And I I was on after seven minutes. The winger pulled his groin in seven minutes. I was on, so I almost played a full final. And we won again. So I I lifted my first trophy three weeks into my rugby league (laughs) career. You know, running around Old Trafford with a trophy and everybody saying, you're brilliant. And I'm thinking, hey, what's going on here? But uh, that's how quick it happened in league for me. it It was crazy. It was absolutely But Full marks to Dougie Lawton. You know, I've got to take my hat off to Dougie that, you know, to do that to a team that had just won the league to leave one of them players out um, of a bench place, because it was all about money. You know, in them days, you know, it wasn't all about money, of course. You know, you want to win the things, but there was a lot of money involved because that's when these guys earned their money was for winning. You know, they got 40 quid if they got beat and they got X amount if they won. And that X amount obviously went up as you went through the round. So, you know, I went to Wembley one year and it was 40 quid if you got beat or 80 quid it was what the deal were getting or it was it was 8000 if you won so that's, that's the comparisons you were on uh, and that's how the league boys worked you know that's why I took my hat off to them it's it's different now because contracts and agents have came in but back in them days it was you, you had to win to get your money um, and that's that's how it was
3: That's a pretty sizable incentive.
0: Oh, I'm I'm telling you, that's why them league boys were desperate, and that's what—that's how I got that winning mentality pretty early on. And that—that as you go back to that, you know that you will have you have to work hard to get what you you want off that that guy that's up against you. You know that's where you get it from. Was that was that was that bedding in when I got down there? That I seen how desperate these players were, and you know you get people. You know, coming out with speeches, the captain saying these guys are trying to take the food off your kids' table. And I'm like, Oh, oh, well, dearly me. <laughs> you know, it's pretty serious, is you know, but that's the kind of stuff the language they were using, like, and I'm like, Oh god, I so you know, it, it just got embedded in you that it was about winning.
3: And what what was it like after games then? Did that change what the clubhouse mentality
0: was like? No, we still got uh blitzed, like you know what I mean? <laughs> So back in them days, it was we were uh, we were like kids, kids, animals. We had to stay in all week, and we always played on Sundays. So, and Sunday was closing time at ten o'clock, and nobody was out because it was a Sunday. And uh, apart for us a lot that were just looking to get bladdered, sort of thing, you know what I mean. <laughs> and then trained out on the Monday to get it out. That was one thing I did learn as well was, you know, if you put it in, you got to get it out. And uh, oh, it was, some of the sessions on Mondays were just oh, you know, you were just you were still half drunk like, but you this, you didn't half get it you know, to get the sweat out of sort of thing. But no, we still enjoyed a lot. You know, the boys, we had a great, great time together, like, you know, because we were a lot of Kiwi boys and Australians and, you know, we had the Welsh guys and then obviously I was the Scottish guy and we had we had some great times at Witness. There were some side, honestly, I, I can't tell you how, how good a team they were and how quick a team it was. It was the, probably the fastest team I've ever played in that was forwards and backs. They were they were tremendous to play with. Like they were they were just like unbelievable, unbelievable. It, it
3: was it was amazing because it was on BBC. Everybody got to watch League. yes, yes.
0: So right. the the league
3: players were were household names. They were on Question of Sport, and everybody knew the league players because yeah. they yeah. were right there. Whereas now yeah. it's on Sky. I feel like yeah. there's there's a lot of people who are detached from the game yeah. unless you absolutely love it. You're not engaging with it. Do you, do you miss that?
0: Uh, well, it was the old grandstand music. I remember. I remember some of the guys to me we would come back to Scotland. You know, some of the younger lads that I was talking to, they used to say, "Oh, we used to watch you on grandstand on Saturday afternoons." You know, after in the clubhouse after their games and things like that. And that's what it was like. You know, it was prime time Saturday afternoon. You know, we played a lot on Sat in cup games, especially you know semi-finals and, and finals. Was always on a Saturday afternoon on the TV on the grandstand. So we were getting that. You know, massive viewing figures, and, and and as you say, a lot of rugby lads would probably see, especially like say so what the, the witness team with Davies, myself, fire Moriarty, Devereaux You know, we had a lot of union players that that were brought over into uh, into league, so it, there was a bit a bit of interest there. What what was it players. like
3: playing at Wembley? I mean that that must have just oh. been for a for a lad from working to Kelso uh, to be playing at Wembley and winning and being the best player on the park. That must have just felt. I mean, I've said it before. It must have felt like you were
0: on cloud nine. Uh, well, I'll have to correct you on one of the points. I didn't win. <laughs> we, we, actually, we actually got beat twice by Wigan. Which, well, that was when I was at Leeds. So we, we were unfortunate at Wigan. I mean. Um, we 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 were absolutely flying. We were we were beating Wigan regular, but we always stumbled. I think I lost three semi finals. We witnessed. I don't know what it was. Maybe we choked a little bit. I don't know because we were so desperate to get to Wembley, and everybody wanted us there because of the speed that we had and that Wembley pitch. And everybody says you lot would rip it up. And Doug Lawton, Doug Lawton was the coach, and he was the king of Wembley in the seventies. We witnessed. I think he took them there about three or four times and lifted the trophy. He was the captain as well, so he was really. He built us up massively for that Wembley and he used to talk it up all the time and oh we all wanted to get there. But unfortunately, um we didn't get there when I was there. We actually they actually got there the year after I left. I went to Leeds and they beat us in the semi-final. <laughs> so I was like, oh no. So a Witness went when I they beat us in the semi and uh, as I say, they went and got beat by Wigan as well. And then I went the next two years. Um and unfortunately got beat. But the experience to play there was just you know, it was it was fantastic. The, you know, the, it was the colours that got, got me. You know, walking out of the tunnel, you look at the far end, and and lucky enough, it was the it was the blue it was the bluer Leeds end. You know, and the Wigan were behind us. So as you walked out and looked behind, the Wigan, the red and white was behind you. But it was the colour. Everybody just had red and white and or blue and yellow on at the Leeds, and it was just it was spectacular. Like the sound, the, the weather was always great in in you know end end middle of May. It was always warm down there, so it was a great spectacle. Like but unfortunately I didn't I think it's the only trophy I never lifted, but you know, as I say, I got there anyway and got to got to play there twice, so it wasn't too bad.
3: And and when you went, when you play club rugby in Scotland, you pretty much want to play for Scotland. When you go and play rugby league,
0: what was the ambition? It's funny, it's a good question that Bruce, because people there is Great Britain. And I, I went on two with Great Britain. I had 16 caps for Great Britain, and it was a good, it was a great honour. But the biggest honour in rugby league is your club. That is what you, you to win things with your club is bigger than playing for your country. And it's it, it's maybe a little bit unfortunate. That's how it is. Uh, but that's <laughs> that's how it was, and it, and it still is in rugby league. You know, winning trophies for your club is still the biggest achievement in uh, in rugby league. You know, that's that's what players want to do and of course now they, they kind of broke up the great britain as well they've went their own ways you know wales and scotland and and ireland have all got the rugby league teams now and in, in england sort of well it's obviously the main team because that's where all the players are um, so that they, they actually have england now instead of great britain so um, and
3: when you when you looked at australia for rugby league was that something that was tempting
0: oh it was definitely tempting um I did actually sign, the, I mean, it's a long story, but when Super League first came over to um, to, to Great Britain, there was a real Super League, and, and, and it was all to do with Rupert Murgot and Kerry Packer, all TV rights, so Sky TV wanted, to, you know, wanted obviously to take over the UK. Kerry Packer, his Fox net or something was out in Australia. They wanted to keep theirs, so they, they started trying to sign all the best English players, so they were coming over in the, you know, coming over with, um, you know, just the agents and they were just trying to sign as many of the best players I could. So I actually signed, I sat in an office and signed for a club uh to go to Australia and leave and leave Leeds. But um as I say, things happened and Doug Lawton came back and said, Look, I want you to stay and so I ended up staying at Leeds, you know, it was a great club. I didn't really want to leave, but it was you know, Australia was a, a place I really fancied going and uh eh, it's something I didn't do but I, I went out there and played a a sevens tournament and a a couple of games out there. So it wasn't too bad, but, you know, I I would love to have experienced, you know, a a season with a club out there.
3: And when when you're down there and your mates from Kelso or...
4: If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers.
1: Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today.
3: Scotland team, were you getting phone calls saying, "What's it like? Is there a chance for me?"
0: Um, the, I mean, as I say, they, they were always on. It, it was so. <laughs> it was such a big jump then. You know, the Welsh guys kind of flooded the market because they they did really well in in that in the, that eighty seven World Cup as well, and then obviously getting Jonathan Davis over the line you know witness got him over the line and then when he came it was just mental honestly uh, Jiffy brought <laughs> it, it just went crackers you know what I mean I mean it was it, you know M- Martin was a massive name and you know I had a little bit because obviously coming from Scotland but not not to the Jonathan Davis sort of he was the coup of, of the whole thing and once he signed it, it was just floodgates for Wales it was the Welsh players that were coming up in drovers like you know and um, they sort of flooded the market but Doug Lawton did like a couple of Scottish. Like he liked Gary Armstrong. He used to talk to me about Gary and as well. But it was such, it was such a big jump then that it, you know once you give up rugby union, you couldn't go back in them days. That's that's what you were giving up. So if it hadn't worked out for me again, you did you didn't think of that because if you probably did, you wouldn't go. Yeah. Um. But you know, for me thinking back now, I actually threw everything away, everything to do that. Stint we witnessed, and if it hadn't have worked out, I was in trouble because I could never have played rugby union again. And so, so I'd have been absolutely stuck. You know, I don't know what I'd have done. It would have been, it would have been a disaster. You know, injury or anything would have finished me really because I could never have played union again, and I wouldn't have stayed down there to play league. You know, so I'd, I'd have just come home, and you know, it would have been a long old time. You know, but luckily, as it you know, things changed. Ten years later, rugby union went professional, and um, you know, it gave us an avenue back.
3: And were, were you watching Union willing it to happen or were you just focused on what you were doing?
0: I was just focused on what I was doing. We were really, you know, as I say, in them days, we played alongside rugby union seasons. Now it's obviously different with them playing in the summer and winter. Um, but then we was right through the winter, just the same as Union. So we were, I was busy at it all the time. i uh, used to catch, you know, the Six Nations was always good to to catch up on and watch when I was down there. You know, I'd always watch them games and, um, and I, as I say, so, you know, we were we were pretty full on.
3: And then the game opens up. How how difficult was it to make the
0: jump back? It wasn't really, because it, it's funny, it, it absolutely, again, whether it's luck or just, you know, whatever, um, Dougie had been fired by Leeds, who was my big mate. He was the main reason I went to Leeds in the first place, because he went from witness. Uh, he got fired, uh, the new coach that came in, I didn't see eye to eye to him on a lot of the stuff that he was doing. Um, so the things were starting to crack there. And I was thinking, oh, you know, so I, I was actually looking to go to other clubs in league at the time. And then obviously the union went professional and my ears just pricked up when I heard that. And I thought, oh, hey, this could be an avenue. And as I say, Rob Andrew and there was perfect. You know what I mean? It was Newcastle back up the road towards Scotland and, um, it was perfect it just it just fitted everything like so you know Rob Rob just um, I don't know how' I got in. I don't know how we all got in touch because there was no agents I didn't have an agent and so I, I don't know I think it was maybe because John Bentley had gone there maybe maybe John had said something about me being at Leeds and not not enjoying it I don't know but anyway Rob came Looking and talking to me, and you know, I, I couldn't wait to get away. Like you know, I was just ready for a new challenge, so it was great how, to get away. How
3: did he sell Newcastle to you? Because obviously, that's not really uh They didn't have anything to go on, so how did he sell Newcastle yeah.
0: to you? I think it was just the location and and me getting back towards you know back home. You know, I was able to move back to Kelso and travel down with Gary. You know, I travelled every every other day with Gary, um, Armstrong. So. You know, it was just that case of getting back home. Really, I think was was the main driver. Um, so I didn't matter what Rob said; I was coming. <laughs> I was going to go. Uh, but as I say, you know, look, Twiggy Marlin and all these guys. You know, uh, it was it was some club. You know, I, I, obviously Pat Lamb, I didn't know much about Pat Lamb until I got there. But you know, there were some players. Like you know, there was it was it was great to be again alongside great players. Was was fantastic. fantastic.
3: And what was it like having? Doddy and Gary with you, George Graham, you know, Scottish uh, guys, was that important?
0: Oh, definitely. Uh, as I say, I travelled a lot, you know, a lot with Gary and become great great friends with Gary and Doddy. Doddy had just moved down there and, uh, you know, it was great to have them Scottish lads there and, and, and a bit of banter. They were obviously younger than me, so I was, I was before them a little bit in, you know, in the border stuff. But, uh, I, I mean, again, two great characters. I mean, oh, gee me, the, the stuff that, you know, that, that carried on, as I was talking about, Jim driven mad. They had the whole coach driven mad in Newcastle. You know, coming home in the bus from Newcastle, we had some long journeys, and uh, you know, there was a few beers scooped on the way home. And uh, and Gary and Doddy, anybody fall asleep, honestly, they used to t- untie your laces and tie your laces. If you were on a tape, you know, on a seat next to the table, the tire well, they'd, I'll tell you a story because they've done it to me. So I was sat and we'd had a few beers and I fell asleep. And I got the biggest slap in the face I've ever had, you know. And Gary was stood there, <laughs> And I'd, your first reaction when you wake up is just you you just fly at somebody like with a slap in the face as well. I just flew at him and honestly I just went eh, flying onto the floor. I thought, what's happened there? And Gary's running down the bus laughing, Johnny's laughing the head off and all laughing. And I had my shoelaces tied round the pole <laughs> of the table. And honestly, I just went crashing to the floor and I just said, uh, they've, done, they've done me again. But they've done it to everybody. They just, you just dare fall asleep on that bloody coach or, or anywhere around the changing rooms. They, just, they, were never, they never stopped. Like. They just daft wee lads. What was it oh. like
3: having the, the wee lad at number 10? He, he turned into a decent player.
0: Wilkinson? Yeah. Ah, I wonder uh, what oh. happened to him. Ah, exactly. <laughs> ah, what happened to that kid? But I, I think, Johnny as well will be the first to say, just like me, you know, going back to my Kelso days when I mentioned six international rugby players in the in a club team. Johnny was the same, you know. Johnny was a great prospect, but he started in his life. with joining that Newcastle team, you know. I, I was lucky; I played a, a, you know, a little bit with a season with him and then a, a, a season and a half. Just really, he was just starting to come into the team as as I was leaving. Um, but I mean, we—you know—he was out training and kicking balls, and he—he he was, you know, he—he he could see his dedication was was massive. Like, you know, he—he he was a real good kid, but he still had to learn the ropes, and he still had to go through it all. But, you know, he had some great players round about him, all over. You know, big Inger outside him, sitting on his shoulder. You know, for the start of his sort of, you know, to come in as a ten and have a twelve of Ingers or a winger just to sit on your shoulder to to give you an option out if it's a bad ball or whatever. And um, was a great upbringing for him, and I think he'd be the first to admit it. But yeah, he was—he was a great, dedicated kid. You can't take anything away from him what he, what he, you know, what he achieved. But again, you need great players around you. To, to you know, I looked at it. The best thing about Johnny, when I looked at the end of his career, what he gave back, and and then how how he drove that Toulon team. You know, he was driving it like from where he was come from. You know, Rob Andrew was the driver, and Dean Ryan were the drivers. At, you know, at, at at the Newcastle, and then to see Johnny at the end at Toulon, um just driving that team on. You know, with some great players around about him. You know, again, but he was he was the main driver of that team. And you know, he look what they they went on to do. Like you know, so no. Well, you've was...
3: you've left you've left club rugby in Scotland to go and be a professional in rugby league, and then you come back to a professional team. Who are still playing in black and white, which is quite a nice wee yeah, <laughs> a, yeah a nice yeah, look. Uh, how how was the game in the time you'd been away?
0: Oh, massive massive improvement. Um, I mean, I left, I left not long after um, the England we played England at Twickenham, and uh, as I say. <sighs> was a killer i think it was 9-6 or something that's 12-9 or something like that it was it was rob andrew was at the fore of it all you know just kicking over chipping over the penalties and it was the worst game of rugby i think i've ever played in my life (laughs) and i and that was international rugby that was it so i was like oh but you know compared to when we came back it was definitely a lot lot better um obviously they were starting to talk about defenses and and things like that you know and so and as I say, the players were getting fitter, a lot fitter. You know, training a lot harder. So evidence improved um, when I came back. You know what I mean? It was it was a far better game, far better game than when I left.
3: And was the 97 Lions on the
0: horizon? Was it something you'd even thought about? <sighs> not in not in my wildest dreams. I mean, you know, playing for Scotland again was. I'll, I'll be honest. I you know I did think oh would I would would have a chance of getting back involved. You know because. I so saw again, you know, you're going about whirlwinds. Yeah, oh, my, my career just seemed to happen so quickly. When I, I came back, you know, to play for a Newcastle, who were in the second division or Division One, you know, they weren't in the Premiership. They were in Division One. We were playing Nottingham and Coventry and all these teams all around the place, but we still, you know, we were smashing them like. But you were still playing a poor a standard of rugby. But you know, to be asked to come and train with Scotland in the January, I think I joined them in the in the October. And then I was asked to join, come and train with Scotland in the, in the January so or the February, I can't remember. And, it, you know, that's only three or four months back in the game. So it was just another whirlwind. And then after that, you know, to get the nod off Geach to go on the Lions, you know, t- three months after that was six months after coming back was, it was just crazy. It was just absolutely crazy. You know, it just, it was, as I say, again, that whirlwind again, is just um
3: and quite oh. a lot's made of the league influence on that '97 Lions team. Did did you were you aware of that at the time, or were you just being Alan Tate?
0: I was just being myself, but I knew once we got there, um, we could add a lot in terms of our just a little bit of preparation and and the mental side of it, and but mainly the communication on on the defensive side of things that that we really cranked it up, um, and the boys had never sort of. I don't think they'd heard guys shouting, you know, I've got him, I've got him, you know, sort of pointing at players and marking players and and really, you know, and that's that's what, like, Gibbs and all these guys, Bateman, you know, they all, John Bentley, they all brought that into the, certainly in in their sort of wider channels outside, you know, uh, numbering off in defence, you know, letting people know who you've got and talking to the guy next to you, shouting opposition's name, you know, he's going to come round the corner, you know, we had it all sort of, we added that into what Geach had already sort of put in place, and uh, and as I say, we definitely had an influence, there's no doubt about it.
3: Was that a plan from Geach and, and Creamy that, right, we're, we're going to utilise these boys, or was that just an added bonus of what you brought?
0: <laughs> Look, they, they, they would have answer that, you know, but but I would have thought there'd be something in that, you know, with the amount they t- they're taking, and, um, I think there would be there'd have been something in there, um, so no. But because Geach, as, as I said, Geach is a thinker, is a, is a real thinker coach, and he would be thinking about that tour, uh, you know, months and months, and then he'd be thinking about combinations of players and who to play where and how to get, you know, how to do this. So, you know, he he would have had time to to work all that out, and I'm pretty sure he'll have sat down and thought, these league boys, I could, I could put a fair old, you know defensive wall organisational-wise and and up in front of the spring box and uh, and that's what happened
3: And the the selection for the test team, I mean Neil Jenkins at 15 there's no way anybody would have picked that beforehand, you know at the moment we're all trying to pick our our starting test team for what's coming, trying to guess what they're going to pick, there's not anybody on the planet had Neil Jenkins starting at 15 in the test team
0: No, no, it's uh, again Geach you know, thinking, thinking all the time. Um, obviously goal kicking, second to none. You know, he's right up there with the best of the best. Get Jenks. You, you know, for me, he he was the greatest ever goal kicker. Like I just couldn't believe how good he was. And um, so no, Jenks was there. He obviously got him in the team for that reason. Um, but he, he again, Jenks was. He, you know, he's one of these deceptive lads. You he, once you got to run alongside him and train alongside, he he had good. Well, obviously he had good hands because he was a ten, but. He he had good pace as well, you know, and he, he was he was a brave enough character. So, um, you know, getting getting him to ten, uh, playing at fifteen, and, and you know, and managing the convince, a bit like what I did, you know. If somebody said to me my favorite position was thirteen, but I wasn't going to complain about being stuck on the wing, you know. What yeah. I mean, I, I wasn't that. I was just happy to be in the team. So I think Jenks, you know, when he looks, Jenks looked at the front line and seen Gregor. At ten, and him stood back in the in the back line. He would have been thinking, "Why am I not put there?" But I think we were just all just, you know, it was just getting an honour to get picked in the team. That was, you know, it was such a strong squad and such a good squad. I think if anybody had complained about where they'd been, you know, playing, I think they'd have been sent home on the next flight.
3: <laughs> uh, I was I was going to ask you about playing on the wing, and I saw you recently giving a a big shout out to Tim Rodber for throwing you that pass. <laughs>
0: Ah, well, as I say, you, you forget things, you see. And, and, you know, we're going about the game as it is now. And um, I actually spoke to Gregor um, four, six, eight months ago, maybe longer. And he was, you know, we will just on about a little couple of things because, you know, Gregor's doing well as a coach. And I just said, look, the rugby league philosophy, when I went down to league, and it still is, it was a race to the corner it's to get the winger into the corner so that's why in, in league the wingers score 40 tries a season or you know, if i had scored 61 year the second year i was down at widnes and i must have fed him 30 times but that was that was our beliefs. is you score in the corner so you never see a defender stood on holding the goal flag yeah you know, the touch you know the touchline goal flag so you never you don't get defenders out there so if you can your know, skill wise get it there by boot or by passing you should score if you can get if you can win the race to the corner. And then obviously the you know it breaks down when you start coming through the middle of them and all the rest of it. You take the shortcut, as we used to call it, and, and score through the middle. But it you never see it in the in, in the modern game now. I mean the Champions League game on Saturday, I was bored stiff. I was like, <laughs> What what is this? What is it? Like, you know, it's just like and, and, and I get worried with rugby union at this current stage where it is in, in terms of where's it going to go because we we tend to follow the leaders and France have won all them Europe. you know they won both cups had two teams in the final of the big one and I'm thinking I hope we don't start copying what they're trying to do because just running into people all the time doesn't I just can't see you know I just, I just, I just think we've got to get better than that we've got to get the game playing somehow so as I say and Tim Rodber throwing that pass I'd forgotten he'd even through it, to be honest. You know, you see it, and you think, God, I, I can't remember him throwing it. I thought, yeah. it, was, I thought it was
3: Gregor I, or something. I have, have to, I have to admit, when I saw you do that on Twitter, I didn't realise it was Tim Rodber either. No. And then, I wanted to ask you this question. Would Tim Rodber have thrown that pass at Twickenham playing for England?
0: No. Now, nowadays.
3: No, in, then. Would he have or, thrown or that then, pass?
0: No. Well, no. I'd probably say no, which is a bit with England, but he was being coached by geech that's so, that's that's what i wondered because when uh, i saw you know, it
3: i thought he would have just smashed into somebody
0: yeah yeah one of the biggest things geech ever said and, and as a coach as you know Bruce, you, you you go on all these coaching courses and all and you travel the world and you, and you you get great but you'll only pick one or two ideas up of everyone in your own mind and you'll pick that up and and geech always said slow ball is ball off the floor and i used to think all right, and then you get into coaching, and you think about that, and it is you know a ball if a, if a nine has to pick the ball off the floor, it's slower than it getting popped up to him or popping the ball up at the next you know forwards popping it between each other, and I always think that that you know it's the coaching that's that that stops the game. I mean, for instance, I know I'm going on to rugby sort of technical things now. I watched I'd that I watched that Champions League game, and honest to God, I was like, this is dreadful. Um there was one piece of class in it where it, where Dupont put a cross field kick in to the winger. Um, but apart from that, I mean, but that that's every week in rugby league. You go that go down to any game of rugby league will do that all the time. And 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 so can so, you know Finn Finn can do it well as you know gone about Scotland. So it isn't a great it, it is a good skill, but it, you know let's see more of it. Let's let's play along with it. But you know, going back to that the, the point, I then I then went onto to uh, the T V and I, I picked up the Let's see how the Aussies got on against the, you know, in the Super Rugby. And the Crusaders smashed the Reds by an embarrassing score, by 62 24 or something. And I thought, oh, yeah. I'll have a look at this and see what's going on. Is it the defences or is it the attack that's good? And you've got to give your praise to the New Zealanders. They're already in front of us and they're manipulating. I'll tell you what New Zealand and Jim, Jim, fir- Jim Telford will be the first president. To- We're always following New Zealand and New Zealand are already manipulating defenders. Because they know that the high tackle's gone out the game, so they're now doing they're now playing the game because they know low tackling is going to be what everybody has to do. So they're they're now running patterns and freeing their hands up, and they're running the forwards in little shapes so that they can get their hands through the contact and then offload through the contact. It's not even offload; it's a pass. Just a straightforward pass behind the defensive line, and it it was tremendous to watch. You know, I'm thinking these Crusaders, you know. uh, you know, and and we should be singing their praises, not the way that, you know, Toulon battered themselves, you know, battered them away till a victory. That's that's my opinion. I know I'm a back, and I know forwards will say, oh no, but, you know, you, you've got to have your grunt as well. I I fully admit that you've got to have your grunt. There's no problem. I don't mind running hard lines and getting forwards running good lines, but if you if you run into people with your head pointing towards the ground, I'll guarantee you, you go into ground. All <laughs> right so
3: so here goes then Alan Tate's coaching the lions what well two things one what do you think they're going to play like and two how do you think they could play
0: I think they'll go I think by the way they've selected they're going to go a, a, probably a direct gatlin route they're going to take them on uh physically and yet you know again you have to do that but I think underneath it all for me they've got to come up with something different and I hope Gregor you know can persuade them to get an offloading game going a quick group game um, and try and break the game up you know more ball off the top of lineouts. you know get moving it I think that you know where you're launching in nowadays is you know if you start driving walls against them you're going to get into their kind of game so uh, I did notice a lot of that in the Six Nations which is refreshing to see was a lot of balls going off the top now and even if they have a stab in the middle it's better than you know setting them all up and then trying to launch off them all it's just you know so I think they're gonna to have to have an offload. not it's not an offloading game it's just it's more of a a quicker you know let's let's play a little bit quicker and let's try and tie them out um and that's how Geech's philosophy was Geech always said when when they're when they're walking we'll be running just remember that lads when they're walking we'll be running. And and a lot of the games, the last 20 minutes on that 97 tour, we did, you know, cause them a lot of trouble. I don't think you're going to break the spring box down with any type of game in the first 40, but if you can keep in there 60 minutes and then still be on your toes and running, I think we might have a chance of, you know, breaking them up.
3: When, when you were on that 97 tour, I think both Geach and, and Creamy both said, a lion in South Africa is, is special. And you, you got to be that, Special lion in South Africa. If you were asked to present the jerseys or to make a speech to the the boys before they get on the flight and go down there, what what would you say to them?
0: Oh, dearie me! Um, it look, I think yeah, I think one thing. I think the chin chin would be going because I can I can get a little bit emotional myself when I, when I talk about things like that. So uh, I think it would soon be going because it brings back memories it's, it's more it's and that's what i would say to them it's the memories that you get out of it out especially winning um, you don't really remember anything bad about that tour you know i can't really remember anything bad about it but i remember everything that's good and the memories that i got out of it and just the, the pride that it brought to you know my family you know my friends you know just people at kelso So Geech Geach says got quite
3: emotional. I know and, and I can understand that. And that the hairs in the back of my neck have gone up. Geach says on that tour that in thirty years time you'll meet each other and there'll just be a look. Is that you said you were on a Zoom call with the, with some of the guys yeah. recently. Is that is that a true thing? Do you look at them and there's just a look? There's you don't need to say anything, there's just a we did something pretty special
0: together. All uh, right, I mean, I mean, definitely, I mean, I, I think I actually said that on the podcast when when uh, Geach was there. If there's anything out of, of all them speeches, that's the one that, as I say, you pick something off a coach and as you go along and you write it down, but that's the one where I got off Geach, but so it's, it's absolutely true. It's funny you you're walking, you can be in a club room, you can be anywhere and you' bump into somebody. And it's the first thing that you you know I met Martin Johnson one day, and it's the first thing I thought of because he was a great captain, he was an absolutely brilliant captain. It's the first thing I want to shook his hand, you know, to say hi, hi, Martin. It was the first thing I thought of was that, you know, you were my leader, you were my captain in, in South Africa, and and that's the kind of it does it it it's it's that that speech is so so true. I don't know where you know if Geach got that himself or whether he got it off a to it back in the seventies. I don't know, but. It it was a it's a hell of a phrase and uh and it doesn't it does, it sticks. It sticks definitely.
3: Yeah, I, I absolutely love it. So on that tour, I, I hate to say this because you've just said you the only remember the good things, but you've actually got something coming up for your big mate Doddy, and Doddy obviously went on the ninety seven Lions oh, tour nice. and because of that clown and umpuma Malanga, um yeah. it, it, Doddy's tour finished there. But you've got a you've got a challenge coming up for the big man.
0: Yeah, he's. Uh, I mean, I've always, he, he, obviously he, there's been a lot done with MND, and you know, and, and doddy has been fantastic, and obviously Rob Burrows as well. You know, down at Leeds, uh, I met Rob a few times when I was down there. And a great little player, and you know, it, it's it's so so sad, you know, I mean, it's, it is. And I've always wanted to get involved with something, but they've either been further away or I've been doing something. But um, it was actually Kenny Logan. I mean, Kenny and Gabby have been really good as well. You know, on on this on, on the cause and. Uh, Kenny phoned me. Um, I, wonder, I knew he'd be wanting something because he, he, he's never phoned, ever. I've <laughs> got the first time I was totally in ten years, so when I seen his name I'd, I'd come up, I thought, oh, what's he after? But, I mean, you know, it's a, it's an absolute it's a great cause and you know, and I'm gonna I'm. I asked him what we were doing. Um, it's still a bit sketchy, mind you. It changes it all the time. There's more and more people seem to be getting involved, and there's more of this and there's more of that. And I'm saying, Kenny you know, don't go too far, I'm not, I am not <laughs> so I think we're up 31 mile at the minute, so I believe, uh, which is far enough, um, so, you know, it's it, it's the walk in to, from um, from the borders in, into Edinburgh, um, as I say, for Doddy's cause and, and MND, and I've got a page up, the daughter set it all up, I haven't got a clue what I was doing, so the daughter set it all up, and I've sent it to all my friends, and, you know fair play to them, you know, they've, they've all donated something. You know, I don't care if fiver is better than now, so um, just you know, hopefully, they can keep on donating. And I think there's a target that Kenny's set me, Um, so yeah, he
3: set your target. I think it's 1600 pounds. Uh, well, you're, you're going to walk from Doddy's farm in the borders to Murrayfield the day before Scotland, Japan,
0: is it? Uh, it's something like that. It's something like yeah. it's, as I say, it is changing all the time actually, <laughs> the I gather. So, I don't know. <laughs> Uh, he's he's trying to get, uh, you know, he, it's typical Kenny, like he's, he's trying to get it bigger and bigger. So, I uh, will probably be stopping all the traffic next and things that. So, uh, but no, as I say, it's it's a great cause. And, and Doddy's he was a great guy, he's, he's he's sound is a pound big, Dodd. And, uh, you know, he's, I've got some great memories of him as well. You know, we've, we've had some good times.
3: Yeah, it's, uh, he's some man, and it's a brilliant cause, and I'm sure, or I hope, anyway, that this is going to get you a few more donations. Hey, listen, I have absolutely loved this, and an hour has just completely flown by. Uh, thank you. I, I think I've said this to a couple of people, I think I'm going to have to get you back for a part two because there's still <laughs> a whole load of stuff on my list that I've not got to. Um, but the only bit of this that's scripted is I get the guest to finish the sentence. So this, I have prompted you with this one, so it'll be interesting to see what you come up with. So Alan Tate, finish the sentence for me. For you, happiness is... Me dogs, quad bike and the
0: Cheviot hills...
3: That sounds like a wee piece of heaven, Tate. He? Oh, aye,
0: aye. it isn't for them. They've got to run after me. <laughs> <laughs> on Alan, the Alan Tate,
3: British Lion, Scotland, Kelso, Witness Lead. It's just amazing. Thank you so, so much. Uh, we'll come back and we'll do a special on the 1999 Five Nations, We never even got onto that one.
0: Uh, exactly, exactly. And that was a good one. As I say, memories are... A plenty there, and, and uh, I definitely. I will. It's it's good if people are willing to listen, I'm willing to talk.
3: Well, I'm I'm willing to listen. I don't care about <laughs> people. I'm willing to listen. <laughs> T, thank you very much. No a brilliant, a brilliant honour, and I'm looking forward to catching up with you, and hopefully I'll see you on that walk.
0: Yes. Cheers, Bruce. All the best. I will good see man. you on that walk. Cheers, man. thank you, sir. <laughs> <laughs>
3: Uh, One of the most enjoyable hours you could possibly spend in the company of an absolute legend. How good is he? And still lots to talk about. And what did he do? He nailed it. What's it all about? It's making the memories. It's building relationships, sharing experiences and making memories. And you heard it from the one and the only Mr. Alan Tate thank you very much for listening i hope you've enjoyed it as much as i have please catch us on apple on spotify and on Acast for the pod and we'll see you on youtube and facebook for the video please leave comments if you've enjoyed it if you can leave us a review subscribe and tell your friends and hopefully i'll be back again very very soon with another special guest my name is and my happiness is egg-shaped
0: hello i'm
1: mayhem hello i'm chaos and, and our happiness, happiness is egg-shaped. Happiness is egg-shaped and loves a circle with no end. I was talking about this last night and
2: he said happiness is egg-shaped. Hey,
1: um, happiness is egg-shaped. Happiness is egg-shaped and loves a circle with no end.